don't say sorry, say thank you instead kind of thing. I think that was told to me by three different entrepreneurship mentors I had slash guest speakers I had throughout like different programs I took in the last couple of years. The thing is, everybody messes up. And the reality is when the customer contacts you because the order is laid wrong or destroyed, they know it's already messed up. It's a joy and a privilege to talk to the people on the program that I do. In this, the era of isolation, getting to hear stories of inspiration while expanding my knowledge and circle of contacts is a gift I don't take lightly. Today's guest, Rada, is an inspiration that stands all on its own. I don't want to spoil the story here, but her knowledge of e-commerce, determination, and work ethic was so impressive, we ended up hiring her. Yeah, just straight up gave her a job here. I mean, I guess it's not that surprising because these are interviews, but it's a really unique set of events. And yeah, here we are. So enjoy. Rada. It is good to have you here on Ecomonics. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? I'm good. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. Uh, it's rare to get to talk to a fellow Torontonian, so we don't have to get too much into the weather. It's a miserable day for both of us. It is, actually. I was just about to point that out. So so this episode, as just for our audience knows, you know, sometimes episodes are come, they come up in the last minute. Sometimes, you know, we get to, we book them in advance and we get to have a pre-existing conversation. And this is one of those times. And what we're going to talk about today, it's going to get into some, you know, some more serious territory than, than we usually get into. So I just want everybody to, to be ready for that. Uh, I'm going to take more of a, you know, uh, 60 minutes uh, interviewer kind of uh, uh, mentality with this one. At least I'm going to try to. I don't know. I, I'll, I'll give it my best shot. But today's story is one that I've been really looking forward to hearing about. And most of my listeners know I we, we, we tend to avoid doing the backstory stuff until it gets towards the end because we really want to get to the value first. Uh, but in this case, the story is truly where a lot of this value comes from, because I think a lot of people are trying to get themselves motivated to get started, to, to break free of whatever situation they have to be in. And, and Rada, your situation is very unique. We haven't talked to anybody who's um, uh, experienced what you've experienced. So that's the first thing that I uh, want to, oh, actually, no, wait, I have to do my opening question, which is to tell us uh, you know, what you do and what you're up to these days. Oh, that's contractually obligated. I have to do that one. And the 60 minutes vibe is out of the window. All right. So tell us what you're up to these days. What I'm up to these days. Oh God, uh, way too many things. So as you can expect, I'm running an e-commerce store, uh, mostly within the arts, uh, home decor kind of niche. And I have a drop shipping slash e-commerce YouTube channel. Aside from that, I'm a musician. I'm a singer songwriter. I'm an actor. So I'm consistently working on that. I'm taking two courses right now for branding as an artist and for the music industry in general. I'm starting a new course in a couple of weeks as well uh, that's related to photography slash arts. I'm starting another YouTube channel, which is just personal stuff. And I um, I just had a TikTok go viral about a month ago. My first one ever. So I'm working on um, that new one, five-minute TikTok fame. Yeah, I definitely had a TikTok question prepared for you. Um, and as well, I also wanted to also make sure that we touch on, I guess, the, the balancing act that you're uh, that you're going with uh, as well, you know, managing the you know, e-commerce business as well as you know, pursuing your career. So a couple of things, a couple of pins in there that we'll unpin later. But if anybody happens to have already uh, uh, looked at your YouTube, they would see on the marquee that you say it was homeless to six figures. At this point now, the audience understands why uh, today's story is unlike any other that we've had. So I'm not really sure what's the what's the way to start. What's the question that I want to ask necessarily? It's really just a matter of take it away and 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 let us know how you got to where you are these days. So I guess I'll just start like kind of towards the beginning of my my uh, story. I was born in a small republic called Ingushetia. No one knows what the hell that is, so do not fret. It's basically if you zoom into the Caucasus Mountains. And you keep zooming 10 times more, it looks like a teeny tiny shrimp on the map. I did grow up in Germany, however, I moved there when I was two years old. And my whole life, um, I lived with very, like in a dysfunctional home. I had very abusive parents. I was never allowed to do anything. And oftentimes I would get the excuse that I'm either Muslim or that I'm Ingushetian. But the reality was my parents never told me what Ingushetia was. I never knew what it was, where it was, all that stuff. And so I never fit into Germany nor into Ingushetia. Fast forward a little bit. A couple of years later, I was suddenly forced to cut off contact with my older siblings. And we moved to Canada to like completely 
lose half of the family in a way. Didn't know exactly what was going on. Um, I was pretty young. I was like 14 around that time. And when we first came to Canada, I started really getting very depressed, very suicidal, had severe social anxieties my whole life, which was the reason why I never really had friends. And I started having eating disorders around that time as well, because once we came to Canada, my parents were just fighting a lot with each other, fighting with me. I wasn't able to have my older siblings around me who were my support systems. Yeah, I became lucky that we ended up moving to Toronto two years later. Because for me, I always thought about running away when I was younger, but I just knew when we first came to Canada, we lived in a very small village. There was no option to run away in that case. So once we came to Toronto, I ended up running away about a year or so later from home. Decided to go back because my at that point, my parents had already divorced. So I decided to go back home because my mom said she would change and life was going to be better and all that stuff. Didn't really change. Two weeks later, she was back, if not worse. And I ran away again for the second time, about six months later. That time I had pending university applications um, and I only had three months left to graduate. And when I suddenly saw myself forced to move into a shelter, trying to manage two part-time jobs so I can sustain myself. And I started volunteering and doing extracurriculars, like three per week. Because for the first time in my life, I was allowed to do something that um, I was never allowed to do before. Started doing all of that. And uh, surprisingly, I ended up raising my average, as a matter of fact. And I got accepted into my first choice of university after that. And so I came to a point where I realized that life is all about choices. We all have choices. And if you remember that and you really put an effort into your choices, you can get whatever you want. I attended university, but I was still pretty lost because my whole life, I didn't know what I was good at. I didn't know what I wanted to do because I was never allowed to do anything outside of going to school and buying groceries. I ended up deciding to pursue entrepreneurship at my university because I thought to myself, well, I kind of want to see the world since I never got a chance to see anything. If I become a business owner, I just start a business. It's going to run itself. I'll have money and I'll travel all over the world as if it was really that easy. Decided to pursue entrepreneurship. And then I kind of just realized I had a strong passion for it. Like it just made sense with my personality and everything else I was doing. I always knew that I liked the arts and, and the entertainment industry, but I felt like I wanted a bit more than just being an artist. And so I think it was in my third year of university when somebody mentioned job shopping in e-commerce. And towards the end of fourth year after I went through a boot camp in Germany when COVID hit while I was in Germany. And that was just a whole nother story. Um, right after I came back from that trip, I decided to build my first e-commerce store. And I had this like genius idea for these like laser sanitizers since, whoa, COVID, everybody's going to go crazy. And then I'm going to save the world with these little sanitizer thingies. And that store failed. And at first I broke even. Then I lost, I think, $4,000 because I just tried to make it work and it was not working out. And I decided to start my second store after four months of intense work on the first one. Um, I started the second store in, I built it, I started building it in August, but I really started running it in October. And that's when I made 3500 in sales at the end of the month. And so I realized, okay, this is something that I can take somewhere. I set myself like monthly goals and quickly surpassed those far beyond what I thought I would actually get. And um, within a couple of months, I was started, I started making like 16000 per month. And that's pretty much where I went with it. Then as of recently, I realized I also want to like get back into things that are like very important to me, like my art and my music and stuff. So I'm like trying to find a bit of a balance right now. But yeah. So in terms of like the name, actually, I, should, I didn't get a chance to touch upon that. I was homeless for three years after I ran away um, while I was in university, while I was doing a bunch of extracurriculars and a couple of part time jobs here and there once in a while approximately a year after I had my own place is when I started the dropshipping store. So that was one thing that I wanted to, to, to get a, 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 I guess, a clear a picture on is exactly when the, the dropshipping of it started. I, a part of me was thinking that, you know, you're in like the, you know, the youth shelter 
and you know you're trying to to do the the drop shipping from from the computer access or going to the library or something along those lines. But nonetheless, what you were able to do was um, build up enough uh, independence for yourself that you would have the means to uh, get into entrepreneurship, which is in of itself um, uh, exceedingly impressive. And I, I think for because entrepreneurship incurs risk. It's, it's, it's chasing, it's chasing self-freedom and self-guidance and, and self-systemization. Um, uh, and in order to do that, ironically, in order to have your own you know, system, your own structure, it, it entails risk. And, and a lot of that risk was basically um, uh, put upon, uh, put upon you because of basically what was, what was the alternative, right? You didn't, you didn't want to go back to, to living with your, with your parents or living with your mother, right? Cause you said they were divorced. So you know, like a, a number, a number of thoughts are are are, are cascading through um, my mind, um, and so uh, I'll, I'll touch on a few things that I wanted to that I picked up on when I was hearing your story. So the first one was what circumstance were your parents in? To I, I'm I, I dropped the name. I cannot even remember the name of the of the republic. Um, one more time for me. Ingushetia. Ingushetia. Okay, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it rolls off the tongue. So from from there to to Germany, uh, I I'm I'm just wondering what was why why were they there in the first place? Why did they move to Germany? Was it their familial connection? Were they there because of work? Interesting story, actually. So um so the thing was that Ingushetia always has been in war and has had a lot of issues and stuff. And right before my parents moved to Germany, there was basically um the war. The, like kind of, like a civil war between Ingushetia and North Ossetia, because English, part of Ingushetia now belongs to North Ossetia. Long story short, people from Ingushetia were deported in 1944, then brought back, but part of the territory was given over to North Ossetia around that time. And so Ingushetia was always like, we want that territory back. North Ossetia was like, you're not getting it back. And so a civil war started. My mom and my was pregnant around that time, I think, with me when suddenly like her whole house was blown up and she had to move away and stuff. And so my mom was well off. But then once after that, that civil war happened, she kind of was poor, just like my dad. They were married around that time. So they didn't have a good financial situation. Now, around that time, also, my dad and my mom after they got married, my aunts from my dad's side didn't like the fact that they were married because my mom had had been a divorcee before that and my dad had not. So my aunts were like, you shouldn't have married this woman. She already like has kids and stuff. And so my parents struggled a lot because my aunts were consistently not leaving my parents alone and um, they weren't having a lot of peace in English Asia. So my mom at one point heard a lot of Ingushetians moving to Germany because Germany was accepting refugees around that time. And my grandpa gave my mom some money, said, here, move to Germany so you can like get away from the, the ants and live a better life. And since Germany was accepting refugees and the fact that Ingushetia had just been through the civil war and my parents were considered refugees, that's how they kind of got into Germany. It's fascinating to hear this story because uh, at the time of this recording, um, there's a, a situation you know going on in Afghanistan, which I'm not mm-hmm. going to uh, delve into. But there's a lot of things happening on the world stage, and yet there are so many of these uh, things that are happening that you know they don't get reported by by the media, um, mm-hmm. let, let alone fairly. And in, in in a situation such as this, this is the first time that I've that I've heard of this nation state, uh, let alone that there's a civil civil war uh, going on. And, 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 you know, you hear about why, uh, you know, uh, families and, 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 and marriages uh, don't work out so well, you know, here in the Western world, and there's a number of issues. It's financial strain, it's um, uh, the familial dynamic between uh, relatives, um, it, it could be uh, just the, their personalities ended up not, not meshing in, in such a way that they, they have to get away from each other, but there was no civil war. I mean, you know, there's, 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 there's crime there and there, and there is violence, you know, pretty much uh, anywhere you go looking, but I would imagine that a, a, a conflict of that magnitude is having uh, lasting and profound impacts, not just on the financial side, because you said that her house was, well, you know, decimated, but also let, even if, even the house were, were still standing, the, the, just the, the uncertainty of, you know, who can come knocking at the door, um, would put, I think I think put any, uh, relationship, um, through, 
a, a great ordeal that might not be uh, as able to overcome. Then the other part of it that I also wanted to just touch on as well is how were you then able to get from Germany over to Toronto? Was it also a familial support? Well, that's an interesting story because um, my parents started, or my mom specifically, started watching a show called Goodbye Germany, which is basically Germans immigrating outside of Germany, like going to different places. And she saw a lot of Germans move to Canada. And my mom thought, oh, it looks like a nice place. We should go there. Now, on the other hand, my parents wanted to move away from Germany because they had a lot of debt in Germany. And so my parents were like, well, let's just leave. I'm, it's not the most ethical thing, but my parents were like, let's just leave the debt behind here and go and start somewhere else while we don't have the debt. On the other hand, my dad also wanted to um, make sure that we kind of get away from my older siblings because they were already married at that point as in they they got married off. And then my dad was like, I kind of like, just want to like cut the family off in a way. And so for him, it was a way to get us away from my older siblings. And so my parents looked into it and they found a company um, that basically helped people from Germany immigrate to Canada by like paying them some money. And then they do like some sort of sponsorship for your family and stuff. My parents ended up saving some money. Don't ask me how I have no idea. That's still a mystery to me because they're not good at that stuff. All right. I'll but just cross they, that one off my list. Yeah. So they ended up saving the money, paid that to the company, and they helped us immigrate over. And uh, yeah, that's that's why, how we got here. Yeah. Well, it, it is um, just to, to look at the, you know, the positive side of this as well. It is at the same time, you know, not really knowing about all the conflicts going on. Uh, the the other side of it is, is also not knowing the the lengths that you know human beings are willing to go to to aid one another, you know, being mm-hmm. able to um, you know make your way into Germany, and then again being able to make your way o- over into Canada. Uh, again, you see, it was a, it was a small town or, or village to to Toronto. So with with all of that, the next thing that I'm wondering about was what was the experience like uh, in 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 the shelter and like uh, you know privacy. Um, uh, accessibility, was there curfews? There's a lot of this that I just don't know about. For me personally, the time I had at the shelter was one of the best I had in a way because, fun fact, I felt like I finally had a home. I would come home, uh, like I would come back to the shelter, I guess, and I could just walk into the office where there was some staff members sitting at all times and just tell them about my day. I could just be like, hey, I got an A plus on this test or I got my orange belt and karate or something like that right and they would just be genuinely happy and proud for me I remember when I started getting university acceptance letters while I was at the university while I was at the shelter um they they received the mail so they came up and gave it to me right and they knew it was the university because they saw it on the envelope and they were just standing there like open it open it open it and I'm like okay and I'm just like opening I'm like I got accepted and they just like jumped like crazy and hugged me and then I'm like I also got a scholarship and they jumped again so um that was different than being at home where I could be getting ace all the time and my mom wouldn't even know she would just yell at me tell me I'm stupid all of that stuff in terms of privacy it it kind of depends because in the first shelter I lived in I shared a room with a roommate Later on, they added more beds to that room, apparently, after I left. So you oftentimes don't get your own room. You get to share it with one person at least. And then six months later, I moved into what's called a transitional home, which is basically supposed to be a step between a shelter and the regular home, they say, where you do get your own room but you have to share oftentimes you have to share bathrooms kitchens living rooms and how it works is that they some of them charge you like a very very low cost rent others like the ones that i stayed in they charge you but they basically put that into a savings account for you and then by the time you leave they give you all the money back so it's kind of not necessarily rent it's supposed to encourage you to save money in a way Mm -hmm. So that when you move out, you have something for like first and last month rent and stuff like that. That said, though, um, even though they kind of charge you to save the money, they don't always like if you don't want to do it or if you say, I don't have the money to save up, they don't even charge you. You just get to live there for free in a way. So it's not like a hard, you need to save thing. They really try to push you to, but it's like, um, yeah, you don't necessarily have to have to. 
those were the best times I had, I guess, as well. I stayed in the first one for about a year. Wasn't my first relationship for the first time in my life. That was exciting. And just could live like a normal life. I could just go to university when I want to go to come home, study when I want to do that, go outside to the store if I want to do that. Of course, there were curfews, but uh, curfews were like the first one had a curfew, I think, of 1 a.m shelter and then transitional home had a broader curfew that was like 4 a.m so you had to be back by four and if you like were li- and if you're late you just call and then then it's fine uh you could also get like overnights usually like four to eight per month and then the second again i moved into a different transitional after that was pretty much the same you know the, the time that i was that i learned anything about uh, about shelters this is going as far back as elementary school where uh, you know somebody from Covenant Housing came in and just and just told us about you know what uh, what it's like and you know, somebody comes in and they're behind a screen and they actually have to ask like do you have any weapons on you they say well you yeah. know sometimes they have to they have to hold on to a hammer or something just to get out of their own house safely so to hearing hearing your story uh, it it's, it changes my my point of view on it because. Uh, I think for a lot of people, myself included, the idea of you know a a youth shelter is just slightly better than the situation that they have at home, and it's it's just and it's just a holding area, and it's and there and there's only so much that uh, they can really do. So to hear instead that it's actually you know a great uh, option for uh, for a lot of people to not only you know uh, tread water but to start to. Um, you know, improve the situation and make their way out and become uh, independent, such as yourself. I really didn't know that. So my my other follow up question to the to the shelter, and then we'll move on, is also: Did you notice commonalities or or personality traits or from some of the other people that uh, that you had met in the shelter as well? So some commonalities yeah. are rather obvious. I should I should clarify and edit by saying, well, yes, I, I, everybody has to be there because there's some dire situation at home. So that's an obvious commonality. We'll skip that. But I meant more like you know personality traits and what people uh, uh, what, where people are in their life and where they where they see themselves going. That's actually a very interesting question. I'm glad you asked that. I want to say yes and no, but it's it's very bit because, for example, a lot of people who go through shelters don't go to university or college. And when I first got my university acceptance letters during that time when I told you this shelter stuff was really happy for me, I asked them, like, why are you guys so excited? Because everybody in my school, almost everybody is going to university or college. It's not a big deal. And they told me, well, because in a shelter, like people who come through, almost nobody ever goes to university or college. You're like one of those like three kids at most that we have and you're out of 50 people. And a lot of the reasons for that is because... Um, when you're going through a dire situation at home, your marks tend to not be great in high school. So a lot of people who come through through shelters barely finish high school because of those reasons. And a lot of people do tend to have mental health problems more so than your average um, 12th grader because of everything that's going on. So that difference I did notice that I did find a lot more people had uh, mental health issues then i i did too but for me it was like i already kind of had started getting dealing with my own mental health by the time i was getting into a shelter and then the other thing for me was the the fact that i never really had friends all my life really made focusing on school super easy for me it just came naturally to me in a way and i guess that also helped me then to like pursue university and stuff like that that was one difference i noticed But aside from that, in terms of like personality, I found people living in the shelters were some of the most down to earth people I've ever met. And that's uh, one thing I really like appreciate and love about people that I met through shelters is you could just like, like very little judging in shelters just because everybody was like, yeah, we all came from somewhere. So that was a nice situation to be in. And I guess one thing that I that I imagine too is that even if they're not going to college or university, they might pursue trades or they might uh, mm-hmm. just get into the labor force. Just some some means that they can start generating uh, generating yeah. revenue. Yeah. So a lot of people um, that live in shelters oftentimes either went through the trades, like you said, or pursued the workforce. Um, a lot of people actually were working part time jobs, I would say, and some of them were still pursuing like schooling. Usually, like most high school credits, they were finishing up upon, and then considering going to college or university. 
I found a lot of people who went through youth shelters would pursue, like the ones that did pursue university and college would pursue more so like later in life than uh, right at that point. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, so just to 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 um, wrap up the 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 shelter part of the of the story here. So two things I'm, I'm that's come to my mind that I'm wondering about. One of them is, have you uh, had a chance to? you know, touch, touch base with them, uh, let them know how things are going. Um, is there, I guess this is, this is kind of a, a, a strange parallel if you compare it to college and university, but I would say there's like an, an alumni of people who, you know, they, 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 they exit the, the, the shelter system. Is there uh, an equivalent of that where, you know, you can, you can go back and even help some of the other people in the situation that they're in? Uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, when I was talking about shelters, like shelters offer so many support systems that like, a lot. There's a lot of alumni thing programs around, like housing help. There's help with furnitures for your new apartment if you need that, where they like provide you with basic um, appliances and furniture as well, and connect you with resources. There are food banks. There's always groceries you can help get help with. There's always clothing banks available in case you need that. There's also shoulder support. You can still access all of the mental health and the clinics that are available throughout. You can um, still access like some of the get together nights. They have and there's a lot of programming and job opportunities where you can also come back as um as a mentor as a public speaker or just in general to host a program or facilitate something i have been working as a public speaker for almost four years before COVID hit and some of the job opportunities are like really great um for people who live in the shelters the public speaking gigs that I was doing with the shelters, I started doing them while I was homeless and then continued after I moved out. We're basically paying me $75 for speaking for four minutes. So the the thing is that the opportunities that the shelters do provide you with as well, and we try to make sure that you are getting paid like a professional rather than a mm-hmm. homeless person. Because when I asked them like, why is it so much? They were like, well, that's how much public speakers get paid. And we will pay you like a public speaker, not like a homeless person that's trying to scrape by in a way. Mm-hmm. So um, there's always connections and ways to get back involved and to connect um, and to have, still have a relationship with the people you met there. It's a, it, it's important for you know for institutions to help, I guess, set the bar for. Uh, for professional rights in specific, because I mean, me, me as a as a freelancer, I, it took me quite a while before I was you know, charging uh, pro- professional rates, and the exposure was nice, but you know, the exposure didn't uh, d- uh, didn't afford me much. So, what was the what was the name of the shelter? And if people are, I know, I know it's 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 a local thing, but if people ever want to show their support for for it, um, I w- I am I'm keen to know what was the the name and like what was yours in specific, but also generally speaking, what people could do if they want to. Uh, even uh, lend some of their own aid. Yeah, so the first shelter I stayed at was Horizons for Youth, um, which I do encourage people if they want to donate to donate specifically to this one because they more they are more likely to need it than the the other two that I'll mention. The second one I stayed at was the transitional home at uh, Covenant House called Horizon Passage, and the third one I stayed at was Eva's Phoenix Transitional Home. If people want to support shelters, I think the best way you can support shelters is one, support the ones that don't have a big name. Because a lot of people oftentimes want to support the bigger organizations because they're better known, I guess. The reality, however, is those are not the ones that need the most aid. The ones that need the most aid are the ones that are unknown and smaller. In terms of if you want to donate things, ask yourself really if this is something that gets donated like if this is something that's like uh, very common and if this is something that you would want to receive as well at the position you're in right now. Because the type of donations I see people make is either something like soaps, toothbrushes, toothpaste, because they're like, everybody needs that, mm-hmm. which is true. But because of that reason, everybody donates the same thing and shelters have like rooms filled with soaps rooms filled with toothpaste um when where it's probably better if you donated something that no nobody thinks about like wet wipes so many people can make use of those but no one thinks about that because people think that's not a necessity but the reality is that 
soaps and toothbrushes, shelters have way too much of that. And people who live in shelters who need wet wipes, well, guess what? They'll have to go out and buy those at that point now. The other thing that I see people donate is donate stuff that they would not use themselves anymore because they think somebody poor, somebody in shelter will still make use of it. Like a really, really old pair of jeans that's been worn out because they're like, it's still clothing better than throwing it away. But the reality is if you don't want to wear it, most likely somebody in the shelter doesn't want to wear it either. So if you donate something, really ask yourself, is this something I would want to use myself before just giving it away? Otherwise just throw it out. Recycle it. Right. I, 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 I appreciate that. And you know, after my, my girlfriend's mother bought us some wet wipes, I am purely in the campus. Yes, those are definitely essential. And also, uh, I, I, it's funny because like, I do have like a number of shirts that have uh, holes in them. Um, I, I have like two drawers. One is like, okay, these are the ones that I can use for recordings because there's no holes around the neck. And these are the ones that I cannot. And I was actually just like, oh, damn it, he's got a hole. Oh, damn it, he's got a hole. I still use all of them. But anyways. So I want to move on next to the you know the e-commerce part of this. Um, so you mentioned that you know there was two stores. One went well. One not so much. Um, the one that did not go so well was, as you say, it was the is it laser or, or light based uh, sanitizer. And yeah. it seems you know, I, and and I can see exactly what the what the logic was. It's like okay, this is the time. This is you know the 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 supply is there. The demand is there. Um, it's uh, it, it seem it would seem like it's a slam dunk. So. Um, right before you, you start that, though, uh, I would like to also know the situation you were in and getting the budget together for it. So, you know, how much uh, you were able to put aside for it. What were your other expenses? I believe, you know, you got school that you're working on. You have, you, know, you have rent, you have food. So how were you able to put together the time and the money to pursue it? Yeah. So this was right after I went to Germany for a boot camp with my university where they accepted 12 people, took us to Germany, was like an entrepreneurship boot camp. While I was there, somebody mentioned like, this was the time where like, we were literally like in Germany and they were just announcing in Canada, all flights are getting canceled because COVID is exploding. Borders are closing this Friday. No, this Sunday this Sunday and we were supposed to return on Saturday. So I literally came back the day before borders closed. And somebody mentioned something about COVID subscription boxes, like emergency subscription boxes. And one of my professors was like, oh, that's actually a good idea. And I thought that was a genius idea. That's why I decided to go with the sanitizing laser lights. Cause I was like, it seemed like a genius idea right now. In terms of the money, um, the thing was I always had a good chunk of money saved, like, over the years since I was homeless, kind of mostly from scholarship scholarships. And then also like, like I said, the public speaking a little bit, a couple of programs, a couple of gigs that I did here and there. And I would just always save the money instead of spending it because I knew it would probably come useful for a business. So that's why I got the money from. And I think when I was starting out, I spent around, I want to say in the first month, or so about a thousand dollars, maybe a little less, like somewhere between five hundred and a thousand, um, from those savings. And I kind of broke even with that, so I didn't lose that money. And then I decided to run more ads. I used more money from like the savings, and I think I lost about four thousand around that time. That said, however, I was still getting like government so, like support, like the CESB you might be familiar with, which was like a COVID relief fund for anybody who doesn't know. And so those four thousand came out of that money pretty much. So, yeah. Uh, CESB, the one I'm familiar with is uh, CERB. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not sure if there's a difference between those two. CESB was the one for students. Oh, for students. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Okay, so then, so let's let's uh, let's switch over to you know the next the next story that you run uh, goes uh, significantly better. So, what would you say were some of the the lessons um, or just really the the strategic uh, knowledge that you had picked up from the previous one? carries over into the next one and, th and things start to look better. The first thing was product research. And I really realized the most important thing about running a dropshipping store is your product. 
because initially I went with this product because I thought it would just be the perfect product for the time right now. And I saw a couple of people doing it, but I didn't necessarily know if they were making sales from it, right? I just saw they were running a couple of ads here and there. So there was no social proof behind that first product. Whereas with my second store, my second product or my second like the products within the store, I made sure that I found products that had a lot of sales and a lot of reviews behind them. So I knew it was selling and that, that uh, the products had social proof. And then the the second thing that I picked up from the first store was uh, product pages, how to build proper product pages. Because when I first built the products, when I first built the first store, I was like, this looks kind of good enough. I would kind of like say it's okay but then i realized well it can't just be okay you have to make it look like like tip top to the best of your best abilities and so i became much much more picky uh pickier about the product pages that i built so i think those are the two most important things that i picked up let's just say for instance you were to um fire up a new business uh today um i would like to hear what would be your what would be your process and how you would uh, go through the steps as they are now. So for me, the first thing is finding products. I would just go on different sites like Etsy, look at the reviews, look at what's the best selling product. There. Same thing with Amazon. Same thing with AliExpress. For AliExpress and Alibaba, I specifically like to search for a problem. So I will go for something like um, I don't know, let's say sleep apnea. And then I'll see what comes up and then I'll try to go for help or solutions for sleeping problems and see what comes up as well. Cause that way I find need products. And before that, before I do the product research, I would have to decide what kind of niche I want to go for. So once I kind of find several products that I like, actually I want to touch out the other research method I use is Fiverr. I kind of quickly want to throw this in there. Cause I think this is one that people always overlook. If you look up specific Facebook ads, creators like the people that sell video ads you can a lot of finds find a lot of times find really good products in their reviews as well so once i find the products i will then go and build the store i usually use shopify recently i'm starting to use dr tech which i can talk about a little bit more maybe later on i built the store make sure that the product pages are incredible look for competitors who are ideally selling similar products and see what they're putting their products how they build their pages what kind of keywords they use to market the product. Also look at the reviews that people have left for that product and what they say about the product. If they say that this dog toy is calming their dog down, then I'll talk about exactly that in my product pages and on my store. Once the store is built, then I decide on the marketing. I either go to Facebook and um, as of recently, I'm looking into TikTok and Pinterest as well, but then I just build the ads and then sell it from there. One thing that I wanted to to touch on was when you had mentioned that you know you're typing in um, sleep disorders or sleep apnea, that's that's searching for the problem in need of solving. But how would it have encouraged to you to look for that problem in particular and not, uh, you know, anxiety or or any other other issues that could be like? How are you determining what problems to go look for? So first, I picked the niche. Um, I have, I kind of wanted a little bit back and forth here, but the first thing I would do is decide on a niche that ideally I know something about and that I'm passionate about and that relates to me in a way. Because the one thing I did wrong with the first store as well was I picked something that I was not super passionate about. If you're not passionate about it, it's going to be 10 times harder to keep working on a store when it starts failing. So I kind of think to myself, okay, what are the, the the themes, the niches that I'm interested in? What are kind of the things and problems that I personally have as well? And then I decide on the problems from there. And then I go on AliExpress and like type those in. So that's the kind of answer that I that I like to hear because you know there's always this um uh, the, this clash between you know the I guess the more you know the personal or the emotional side. You know, where does uh, where does the passion come from? But then also the the more calculating side, which is you know, so what if it's your passion? You know, you you still have to sell, and and it really seems like the you know the passion side tends to win uh, a lot of the arguments because, like you say, if you don't if you don't have that inner energy to to continue working on this when it becomes a struggle, then you you're just you're not going to get far anyways. Even if it, it does so happen to be a you know a, a killer product, so yes. it's just great to be able to to reinforce that. Dr. Tech, you know, this is, Debify is a Shopify template. You know, this is Shopify country. But 
we one of our rules in the show is that when we face you know um, conflicting information, we head right for it. So tell us about Doctor Tech. Uh, yeah, so I started working with them very recently. Basically, I did like a couple of interviews with them before I did, like I interviewed them myself, I mean, before I started working with them. And Doctor Tech is basically a new alternative platform to Shopify. They're not super well known in North America because they're from France. And the founder basically started the company in France, moved over to Thailand now and is working with an incubator there to grow, grow out the business. But basically, he realized very quickly that all of like the problems Shopify was having and how Shopify is a lot of times overcharging people because he was like, you don't need to charge people extra for apps and for the site because once you integrate the apps, you can like find them through WooCommerce and like have them built together. So there's no need for like double charges and there's also no need for transaction costs to really realize. And so after talking to several dropship entrepreneurs, he was like, I personally love running a business and I want to help entrepreneurs create more businesses. So he built up this platform with by himself with a couple of people. And Dr. Tech basically allows you to build your own store for the first time cost is $59. And then you don't pay a monthly fee un until you make your first $500 in revenue. After that, it's a monthly fee of 59 again. So it's pretty much risk-free when you start out. You don't have to worry about what if I don't make sales? Am I going to lose money on the store? All of the app fees are included. All of the transaction fees are included in that $59. And it has over like 200 templates to build your store with. And yeah, and you can easily migrate like... Uh, move your store from Shopify over to Dr. Tech as well. So the thing that I really loved about Dr. Tech was specifically the message behind it, that the founder was really just building it to help entrepreneurs. And that's why I started a YouTube channel as well to help people get into entrepreneurship. Um, yeah. So I've noticed a pattern uh, throughout this interview, uh, which is the, the, that there are things that are uh, you know, not well known. So you know, the Republic of uh, Ingresia, I think I got that. Um, the, the the horizon. No, not even close. No, it's four okay. out of ten. Okay, four out of ten. I got it. No worries. Um, the you know the horizon uh, youth shelter, uh, Doctor Tech. Is that this? It, it's been coming up th throughout this. Is that you know there are um, elements of, uh, of of the world that are doing a lot of good, but they're just not getting the you know the kind of uh, recognition that they deserve. Have you, you know, you're, you're doing your part, you know, you've got your YouTube channel, you know, we're, you know, we do our party or two uh, on, on the podcast to try to give these things uh, some, some airtime. Th th this is kind of uh, a, more of like a, I don't know, like a perspective question, more really just kind of curious to get your opinion on it is um, what are you finding is really limiting a lot of these um whether it's you know it's it's a it's a nation or it's a, an organization or or a business is is keeping these things from being more more well known. Is it is it the marketing budget just isn't there? Is it the the larger industries just tend to have so much more you know airtime? Whether it's a large country versus a small country, large shelter versus small shelter, and and so on. I mean, just like everything else in the world, it's obviously branding, right? As an inter, as an artist in the entertainment industry alone, I can give you the example of like how certain celebrities might not be the best singers, but they're the most famous versus singers who are incredible, but they're not that well known all because of branding. So there's that obviously, but I also think the other part of this is that I personally tend to look for the well in terms of English media obviously doesn't doesn't apply but I tend to look for the smaller resources I oftentimes prefer working with the smaller guys because one they need it more and they're oftentimes more passionate about what they do I find they're like much more effort driven in a way and also I just find I get much more out in terms of building something and having more impact by working with the smaller um smaller guys that said though yeah going back to the branding i think it's mostly related to branding and marketability the the reason companies get bigger is because of branding i will share um one thought of this that i've that has uh, crossed my mind you know a number of times not just on the show but you know throughout the years is that there is an element of um a funneling effect where you know, when you have larger brands, um, and one comedian I used to use, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but a comedian like Dane Cook, 
was very popular, you know, in like the, let's say like 2009, 2010. And what I think um, brands at that scale, they, they're good at starting to generate interest, giving people their first taste of something. And many people will stay there, but then they will filter through. Maybe they'll start to develop more nuanced tastes and they'll want, and then they'll listen to uh, a more specific comedian, say like a Mitch Hedberg. And, and, and if, I don't know, I, I relate that to something like McDonald's. You know, McDonald's gives people a taste for hamburgers. Then you get into the more specific and the more, yeah. um, you know, the more premium ones. So I do think that there can be a funneling effect here as well is there is an, an advantage to being smaller. Um, I think that passion might not always scale up so well. Uh, so when something becomes more industrialized, a lot of that passion might actually be lost. So there, I think there are advantages to to the size, but it is a matter of you know making sure that the channels are open and the communication is there, and that bigger companies recognize the value in supporting small companies and, and vice versa. Oftentimes, the bigger companies there tend to be much more general because they try to appeal to a much, much larger audience, right? And the smaller ones tend to be more niche because they focus on that one thing that they got started with. So in my opinion, yes, both have quite, both provide value to the market in, in their specific ways. And just like you said, people start out with a broad company like McDonald's to get a taste of hamburgers, which is like the general appeal to like the broadest audience you can possibly give. And then from there on, you get to find your like smaller niche companies that you venture off into. So for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can, uh, I, I can go off on a, on a tangent for, for a good long while on this too. Cause like I said, I've been thinking about this for years, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. I also wanted to uh, touch on your, you know, your work in, uh, in, in film and in acting uh, I think for a lot of people, um, the you know entrepreneurship is appealing because it uh, it frees up a lot of time, gives people a chance to do as they please. It could take quite a while before people get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're lucky, though, they could end up grinding for 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 a number of years. So you know, there's people have different concerns, and uh, you know, we're just looking for ways to to inspire people to to really get started. So. Tell us about your balancing act right now. Is you know the balance between you know your YouTube, your you know your 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 studies, your 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 career, and and the uh, and the e-commerce business. So I think I want to start out by saying if people want to pursue entrepreneurship because they're trying to find like more free time, like you said, yes, you can have that, but it can take quite some time before you get there. And ideally, I would say unless you really love working and what you're doing, don't pursue it if that's not not you, because um, yeah, you'll work a lot. For me, the thing is, I don't necessarily have, like to begin with, I never was a person who always who liked to go out and like go partying and stuff like that. So that was an easy one for me to, to avoid. But the other thing is for me, my biggest hobbies in life is what I am doing right now. My hobbies and my work are pretty much kind of the same thing at this point. A lot of times I will work several hours on my e-commerce. So nowadays I don't work as much on it as like in the beginning stages because I'm not like trying to grow it anymore. A couple of times I will, and then several hours I'll spend on practicing singing, practicing acting, taking courses, running the YouTube channels, trying to film something daily, just so I get into the habit of doing that. And in terms of balancing, I wake up at 4.30 every morning. And I go to bed at around 10 to 12. So for me, it's like, I don't know if you can say I'm balancing that, but the reality is I just love it though. I really do love getting, working on stuff. There is part of me that wants to work more on other things. Like I really want to dig more into social media, really want to dig more into singing and acting. But unless you really love what you're doing, it's going to be hard to to do that. And when you do, it doesn't feel like work. It just feels like doing, yeah. I don't know how Mm -hmm. to describe it otherwise than that. I I, I think I might have a way to describe it. So there there's this movie, uh, not, not the remake, but the original Total Recall. It's an Arnold Schwarzenegger film. And, uh, uh, without giving away too much of the plot, there is a lot of uh, trying to understand what's going on. Well, at the same time, it is also an action movie where Arnold guns down a bunch of people. Um, but it's it, it's a sci-fi premise about whether or not what's happening is either a dream or reality. And and because the 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 audience is trying to keep up with the logic of it, 
it, it makes the keeping up process a little bit more difficult than just like a run of the mill movie where he guns down a bunch of people. And, mm-hmm. and I think that there is an element to that trying to keep up with, uh, with everything going on is a, is a very energizing state because it's not a struggle and, and it's not, um, and it's not easy, but it's, it just can, it's just that healthy amount of pushing that's constantly keeping the forward momentum going. That's how I would characterize it. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. I also find it's the fact that um, you feel like you get something out of it every time you finish something. For example, I like watching movies. I like reading books. But you watch a movie, you finish a book, you're like, okay, great. It was fun. That's that. Whereas for me, when I do something, let's say practicing on something I love doing or running a business, like work on that for three hours. After I finish, I'm like, it kind of was fun. But I also feel like I did something. I feel like there was something I achieved rather compared to the movie or the book. So like you said, that constant pushing, I feel like it works you towards that as well. Because every time you push yourself, you feel like you took a little step. And then you push yourself further and you feel like you took another step. And so that kind of helps go along with it too. Now that Shopify has upgraded to version 2.0, we needed to make sure we were up to speed. So we've released version 4.0 to ensure that we're 100% equipped to take advantage of the 2.0 revolution. If you haven't upgraded your store, head on over. And if you haven't gotten started, now's as good time as any. Oh, here's the thing I'm I'm wondering about, um, because my my producer, uh, she's great at doing the uh, the initial dig and pulls up a lot of research, found your your resume, and you've done like a number of uh, stage performances and live performances. And... I, this is just like a personal curiosity for me, which is dealing with, uh, with nerves. Like, do you, do you get the nervousness? Is it like, if I get, if I'm nervous, this is actually a good thing. That's one thing I was told is I, like, Hey, if you're nervous, that's good. You know, don't, you don't want to avoid that. But, uh, I, I'm just curious about, you know, from your expertise as a performer is dealing with it, uh, just kind of letting it flow through be Zen meditation is how you like your, your relationship with it. So as mentioned, I had social anxieties my whole life. Like I was so scared of people that, Every year, every lunch break, I would oftentimes hide in the underneath the staircase in the basement of my school and walk back to, to class with spider webs because I was just so afraid of seeing people and having them think I'm a loser because I don't have friends and stuff. And I remember it was in grade 11 when I had to give a presentation. I used to be the most nervous wreck you could imagine. And I decided to myself, I kind of knew I was a decent actor and I kind of enjoyed it at that time. I thought to myself, why don't I imagine this is an acting role? And I'm a CEO giving a presentation to my company staff. That's the role. And so I really practiced and prepared for that acting role per se. And I did an amazing presentation. And that same year, I won an award in high school for senior orator. And so that one experience, I think, was really what helped me with the nerves as an actor, because I realized that if you imagine that you're somebody you want to be, it's so easy to forget the rest of the world and really live in that moment. And every time when I have an acting role that comes up, I just think back to that moment of how hard it was for me to ever go and speak to people, but I still managed to get that award in high school because I did that. And that's I th- what I think really helped me with the nerves. Now, in terms of acting, I'm so confident in terms of acting, I can just walk up anywhere and like improvise and do that stuff. In terms of singing, that's something entirely new. That's something I had a bit of um, past trauma and stuff with as well. So there I do still have nerves. I still get super nervous about singing and I'm uh, slowly starting to like work my way up on that too and get used to not having those nerves, but yeah. But I feel like the most important thing is find something you really love and try to connect it with what you want to do. And then it's easy to lose those nerves. Yeah, okay. I, I like that. As you were saying that, that, that was uh, giving me an opportunity to put a few things together in my own mind as well. Okay, I'll, 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 I'll let it go because this isn't about me, at least some of the time, not all the time. The, the other question that I had prepped for you, because we're, we're, we're pretty close to uh, wrapping up here. In fact, yeah, it's like we're almost at an, almost at an hour. So one of the one of your videos it is you you talk about you know customer service and um, I'm just going to spoil it because I just this was uh, a kind of a a real a changing point for me which is you know we were always told you know my previous customer service jobs you know you always want to start with a sorry 
um, and your and your position is it's better just sorry if it's like genuinely the company's fault, but it's better to say thank you because it's about bringing mm. something to to our attention. I, so I, that that was a, a kind of a, a kind of a major breakthrough for me even. Um, but that's not the part that I'm wondering about. The part that I'm wondering about is, I guess, how you reconcile your previous experiences with the grievances that customers are bringing to you, because we don't know their story. We don't know what, what they've been through, but it seems that they're bringing forth what could be a, a trivial uh, matter in the grand scheme of things. Like, why is this taking so long? Or this isn't quite the color scheme that I thought it was. I know, like, I, I don't want to, it's not really my, my time or place to get into it, but I've uh, been through um, a, a, a litany of, of issues in the past too. And when I would do customer service, my cortisol levels would spike and all of that fear of all that loss that I could experience would actually start coming up again. So I, I, I don't, I don't know if that was the best way to deal with it, but, uh, I, I'm really curious to hear about your, uh, you know, how in your mind, uh, how you, I guess, uh, find empathy with them or how are you able to resolve their problems? Don't say sorry, say thank you instead kind of thing. I think that was told to me by three different entrepreneurship mentors I had slash guest speakers I had throughout like different programs I took in the last couple of years. When I started my first store, the thing is I sell, I mentioned I sell arts-based products, but a lot of these are gifts that people get that oftentimes I've connected with something like somebody's birthday or they're getting it for an anniversary or they're getting it as a gift because their father passed away. And it's like kind of a memory kind of keepsake. And so I've had some of the most interesting stories from my own story where customers were like, I just proposed to my girlfriend and this is for her. Please make sure it's amazing. Why is it late? Or other people who were like, my dad just passed away and I'm getting these as a keepsake for the whole family kind of thing. So I had like a lot of very emotional stories connected to one specific product of my store because it was that type of product. The thing is, everybody messes up. And the reality is when a customer contacts you because the order is late or wrong or destroyed, they know it's already messed up. They already know it's broken. They already know that there is a problem with it. So when you say, I'm sorry, you're just reinforcing the fact that, oh, yes, you received then less than what you have should have received. It's almost like you're putting more salt in the wound. You're like literally reinforcing, yeah, you lost out. Whereas when you say thank you, it makes them feel like you're giving a little bit of something back to them. It makes them feel like you, because you are, because when you say thank you, it's basically saying thank you for your patience. Thank you for your understanding. So it makes them feel like you realize how hard they're actually working to, to deal with this problem in a way. So a lot of times I have found if you say thank you instead of sorry, but also make sure that you provide the best value and the best advice and help you can do, it takes you much further than when you say sorry. A lot of customers came to me being super upset because they received the wrong product or something happened or it's late. And I would just tell them, listen, so this happened. We understand and we thank you and thank you for bringing this to our attention. This is what I can do for you. These are the different options you have. Let us know what you want us to do and we'll get started on that right away. And once again, thank you for all that patience and thank you for your understanding. We'll do our best to work with you to get this resolved. And so it feels like some sort of teamwork. It feels like you're both trying to take a step forward rather than you apologizing to somebody because you messed up and now you're trying to like make excuses. So I think that's the best course of action. And that's why, how I approach it a lot of times. And then where do you draw the line where it, it, it becomes uh, necessary to make an apology? When it's very obvious that there was like um, something that was messed up and when it's more than just like one mistake, for example, let's say supply messed up and we decide to help them and then something else happens again, then I'm like, okay, now it's like the second time I'm kind of going to apologize. Or when it was something that was, like I said, very obvious in the sense, um, customer contacted us saying they want a specific modification. And I said, sure, we'll make sure that's incorporated 
And then it's like, oh, that never was incorporated. Now I'm like, okay, it's kind of really obvious that we promised something and we didn't take action on that kind of thing. Whereas the other things like something being late, something being destroyed in the mail, really, it's not necessarily like something very obvious that we could have predicted as a company or that was directly uh, related to us. So those things that I rather thankful. And then when it's something super obvious, I try to apologize. I don't know if that made just made sense, but I hope I got the point across. No, I, I well, I mean, the the big picture is uh, is crystal clear. I mean, I think there is always an element of case by case basis to it as well. Yeah. But um, I, I, what I, what I, what I appreciate the most out of it is that sorry is not the the go to reaction. Um, there, there, they, they should be an apology should be more precious than that. And so, for that reason, gra- gratitude is precious no matter how abundant it is if you always show gratitude it always comes back so you're you're never going to see like you know uh an inflation of gratitude you're never going to see a um a diminishing returns on it gratitude is is pure and so i think sharing that will uh is a good place to start and yeah so that that was that to me is like this is the major takeaway oh with that so that is the uh, that is the hour. I, I have to say, I was really looking forward to this one, and I'm uh, not only did I get to hear a great story, but uh, a, lo- a lot of really keen insights as well. So I I'm, I'm glad we were able to uh, really really cover uh, a number of areas. So the 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 final wrap up question for you is if there's like a parting wisdom or like a Chinese proverb or something you like sharing, you're welcome uh-huh. to. Uh, I mean, there I do see one in the back there, which is uh, don't look back because uh, you're not going that way. So that's not a bad one. Something along those lines. Um, and then let the audience know how they can uh, discover you online. Hey, we forgot to talk about TikTok. the TikTok. Did you no, want to talk about the TikTok, TikTok before we go? You want, do you yeah, want to talk sure. about what happened? Yeah, yeah, okay. Let's do that and then we'll wrap up. Okay. Yeah, I started e-commerce in October, as mentioned. I started YouTube in March for a dropshipping store. My initial goal was to start e-commerce, have some side income, then start a dropshipping channel to help people with business, grow that, start my personal one, tell people to move over there too, and then put out my music and my acting and get noticed in the industry for that. And I realized that's a little bit of a back and forth, like I should just start doing everything I want to do right away instead of like trying to take it step by step. So I started YouTube and I posted one or two TikToks before just to figure out how the app works, didn't really do much there. And then one day I just decided to start a brand new TikTok account, nothing on it. And I saw somebody do a little bit of a trend, which was basically a prank called the Rickroll. You tell people, oh my gosh, don't listen, listen to the sound. It's like something like you make it look like it's a different sound. But when they actually go and listen to it, it's Rick Astley is never going to give you up. If they listen to the sound, you pranked them successfully. So since I was an actor, I thought I can do a much better job on this prank. And I started crying. (laughs) It was basically the first TikTok I ever posted on that account. And that was a month ago on July 3rd. And that went viral for some reason. It's at 9 million views at this point. The account gained like almost 30,000 followers in one month. And I'm excited because I really want to use that TikTok to put out my songs and my acting. So I feel like it kind of gave me that option now. So far, I've just been posting really stupid, funny skits and stuff like that, a couple of trends. But yeah, that's why it's at. I don't know what else to say there because I'm still shocked that it's there. People calling me famous in the comments and I'm like, who is famous? The, the the things that platform is capable of it's i i have a i have a hard time sleeping with that knowledge okay all right <laughs> now we're done uh I, again thank you for, for for your time today uh i was really happy to to meet you and have this conversation so getting back to that question uh let us know uh where they can uh, discover you online and um feel free to uh throw one more nugget of wisdom into the pot if you like not necessarily a proverb but the one thing i really want to say is Always remember you have a choice in every situation. It's wherever you end up in life, it's based on your decisions and your choices. You can decide to make the easier choice that gets you eh, results, or you can decide to make the harder choice that might give you horrible results, but then you can oftentimes turn them around and make them the best results you ever had. And my best course of advice is when you have to make a hard decision, make the 
choice that makes you the happiest overall, not just in the short term, but overall makes you the happiest. That's one piece of advice. I guess it's very general, but I really think that's the most important thing I would point out right now. And then, yeah, where people can find me, um, YouTube, I have a channel, pretty long name. It's called Rada, Homeless to Six Figures. I think if you just Google Rada Dropshipping or Rada e-commerce, Rada Shopify, you can probably find me. I don't know if I can like give you a link. I can do that as well. Otherwise, I just I am just starting with a new vlogging kind of channel on YouTube that's just called Rada, but I'll probably link that to my business channel at some point as well. And then on TikTok, if you want to watch me do stupid skits and stuff that people apparently think is hilarious, I don't know. Uh, my TikTok is Rada Songs, one word, Rada Songs. And then on Instagram, I'm real.rada. I need to find a way to match all of these handles at some point, but that, those are all of them right now. Yeah, not gonna lie. I saw the TikTok where uh, it's uh, it's you responding to somebody else's video, be like, you wanna save money in your 20s? Just uh, just don't go partying. And then you stuff your face full of crisp, be like, yeah, that was easy. Uh, that was pretty <laughs> good. All right, with that, to my audience. As always, it is an honor and a privilege to collect this information and yeah, do I use it for my benefit? Of course, and then share it with all of you as well. So with that, Rado, one more thank you for the road. Thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, sharing your, your knowledge and your experience. And to everybody else, take care. We will check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might've found this show on many number of platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you, so whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at Debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next. <laughs>